Hello, and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Great show for you today, really. I mean, I always say that, but I actually mean it. I really mean it today. And I mean, I always, I guess I always mean it, but I mean it, mean it today. Second hour, uh, Father Sebastian Walsh will be here, and we'll do Ask a Priest. And uh, you know, we just love Father Sebastian Walsh, Norbertine Priest. And first hour, it's the enigmatic, it's the mysterious, it's the inspiring Trent Horn with tips for defending the faith. Happy uh, day after Thanksgiving weekend, Trent. Happy recovery day to you as well, Cy. They call it Cyber Monday. It's also the first Monday of Advent. I mean, maybe that's the, the one we should, that should be the highlighted one. Well, I think, I think it's difficult, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I know we're celebrating Cyber Monday, but it is based in a pagan holiday. Cyber Monday is based in a pagan holiday. It has, it has, it's based on a pagan holiday, so I, I think we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, it was the the Celts with their uh, cyber uh, uh, festivities around a bonfire. Yes, they, yes, yeah. they would uh, sa- sacrifice their bonus paychecks to the god of Cyber. <laughs> <laughs> bonus paychecks. Huh, remember those days? I love right. bonus. Uh, uh, Anyways, what you are uh, making fun of there, what you are making light of, is the tendency of people to say that every Christian holiday actually has pagan roots. Right, yes. And some of the holidays we celebrate actually are somewhat pagan and materialistic, and if you do think about it. But no. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just coincidence. In other cases, uh, what the Church has done is say, oh, well, you're celebrating this, uh, we can baptize this and, and recognize things that are good and how it ultimately points back uh, to Christ. So it really does depend on the, the different elements that are involved. Except for tips for defending the faith this hour uh, with Trent Horn, 888-318-7884, 888-318-7884. You know, you can make fun of uh, Cyber Monday, and I, I, I make fun of it because I don't actually know what it is. I guess it's d- deals that you get by ordering on the internet. Isn't that the same thing as Amazon? Like, every day? It's just another day for Amazon. But uh, we're having a Cyber Monday uh, event over at shop.catholic.com. So I make fun of it, Trent, but we are participating in it. We have a Cyber Monday event. Mm-hmm. That we, we do. Might as, might as well jump on, jump on the bandwagon and be a part of it. sound less bored. When we I do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Look we, at this. Can you certainly see, do. Can you see this picture that I'm holding up, Trent? Is that... Elf from the movie Elf. No, what is I don't. That? I don't know who that guy, the elf body is, but that's my face on the elf. That's so me. Are you me as an elf? Are you Santa's? Are you Santa's little helper at uh, Catholic Answers Cyber Monday spe- special? Well, that's because the Cyber Monday special they uh, uh, they called it Cyber Sci online at shop.catholic.com. Oh, what if what if they do? They need to make an ad where it's a picture of you and like. You're freezing, and you're like, buy discounted stuff, and it's the cyber oh, sale. See, they needed you in the marketing meeting, because this was the best the marketing people could come up with, and they, I think it's great. My favorite thing about it is, look at this elf they put my head on. He's, like, thin and fit. I love, It's my favorite picture of me in the last 30 years. Uh, yeah, but what they do, what you do is you go over to shop.catholic.com, and if you find CyberSci, like, they've, they've hidden him in the website, you know, in, in the various places— and if you find him, I'm going to read the script later. It's, a, it's an ad I'm going to do later. But if you find CyberSci, then you can get really good prizes, really good prizes. they got very good prizes over there. Shop.catholic.com. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm boring to, uh, Trent to death, so I'm going to go to Ogden, Utah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're boring somebody, the place to go is Ogden, Utah. 
uh, Bryce uh, watching on Facebook. We're glad you're here. Uh, Darren, could you push number one for me? Hi, Bryce. Hey. Hey, Trent. Uh, hey, Cy. Hi, so Bryce. My question, hey, my question is, how do we defend the Catholic position where when we say that Muslims and Catholics worship the same God, even though Muslims deny the Trinity, deny the divinity of Christ, and we say that that's still, you know, the same God that we worship. And then with Mormons, if they say heretical things mm-hmm. about Jesus, uh, you know, the same Jesus that founded the Catholic Church lived in 33 AD, all of that, then we don't say that they are Christian heretics. So right. it seems like we're not being intellectually consistent. Sure. And this comes down to the question, can someone be a monotheist? Can someone recognize there is one God that created the world, and that God is worthy of worship, even though um, they have mistaken understandings about God's nature? And this doesn't just apply to Catholics and Muslims. For example, the Catholic Church teaches that God is simple. This is called the doctrine of divine simplicity. So, and this is something that was defined at the the Fourth Lateran Council in the year 1215. God is not composed of parts. So, not just material parts, but even metaphysical parts. He doesn't have separate parts of his being, because if God had parts, we'd wonder what keeps all the parts together. There'd be something more basic than God, and so that would be God. The point I raise that example is that there are many Protestant Christians, there are some Protestant Christians who defend divine simplicity, uh, but there are many others, like William Lane Craig, for example, who deny the doctrine of divine—they deny divine simplicity. So we would say, okay, well, do they worship the same God we do as Catholics, if they don't understand that he's uh, infinite being, that he's uh, pure simplicity? Uh, do we in Calvinists worship the same God when Calvinists radically misunderstand uh, God's uh, decree of predestination, when they affirm things like double predestination uh, of God willing people, willing everything, including ultimately uh, sin and positively willing who will be saved and who will be damned. So there's kind of this gradient here, but I think what might be helpful is to go back to the Second Vatican Council to see what it says, because it does not say that Christians and Muslims worship the same God in the sense that both of our conceptions of God are identical, because they certainly are not. Rather, when I read it to you, I think what we can take from it is that Christians and Muslims direct their worship to the one true God. Christians are actually just able to get there because they have a correct conception of God. Muslims fall short. This is what it says in Lumen Gentium 16, which is quoted in paragraph 841 of the Catechism. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator, in the first place amongst whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. So the point here is that you'll notice it says that Muslims profess to hold the faith of Abraham. So the the Vatican Council Fathers recognized that, well, they profess to hold the faith of Abraham, but they don't actually, because the Quran has a mistaken, a historically inaccurate view of the Old Testament. They profess it, but they don't have it. But it says that the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last, they recognize there is only one God, uh, uh, and that he is the judge, 
of all of humanity. He judges uh, sinners, and though he also is capable of being merciful. So we have con- that. That's just what the the church is trying to affirm here. We recognize we're both monotheists, classical monotheists, one infinite God, even though. Muslims are deficient in their theology of God, just like some Protestants are deficient in their theology of God. They still are, are understanding monotheism. Mormonism is going to be different, though. It's radically different, uh, because Mormons believe that the God of this world changes. He used to be a man, with a, and he still has a physical body like us, uh, and he's one God among an infinite collection of gods. Uh, so they are henotheists. They believe in value, uh, honoring one God among all of the others. So here I think we can make, and the Church has made clear distinctions in this, in understanding that uh, when we're referring to the term God, uh, at least if you can get basic monotheism, especially classical monotheism, we can say we're both adoring the one true God, even if we don't have, all, even if the other person doesn't have all their theology correct. I believe Saint Thomas Aquinas gave an example of an archer uh, that uh, Muslims are like an archer who aims at the correct target, uh, but they lack enough knowledge and grace, so the arrow is incapable of reaching the target. Uh, but they are aimed at the correct thing, and it's and it's also fuzzy in their vision; they they don't fully behold what it is. Uh, whereas other groups um, like Mormons or Hindus or others who don't accept classical monotheism, uh, they're not even firing the arrow anywhere near in the same direction. Uh, so that might be how I would go at it as a start. Um, is that helpful? Kind, kind of. So when I was growing up, I was, I was LDS, and then the Catholics in my life that I met, and they were like, if they'd have been like, well, you know, you are— a professed Christian, but you're you're totally heretical. Here's A B C D E F G. That would have been mm-hmm. pretty good. But when they come out, it's like, hey, you know, you're just not even Christian. And it sure felt like I was Christian. You know, you you, uh, right. you know. So sure. I feel like it was a big barrier to my conversion. And so I'm just thinking of uh-huh. if 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 we could be ecumenical in a way to say, hey, look, like you are wrong about all these things, but when they, like, so an example would be when a kid says Santa Claus, they're not thinking of St. Nicholas. But when I was a Mormon and I said Jesus Christ, I was referring to the Jesus board of Mary, you know, crucified by Pontius Pilate. Right. But I I think the the problem here, and this is where it gets back to uh, essential properties of things, uh, because there are they're gonna you're gonna share some things in common. Like, do Mormons and Christians worship the same Jesus? Well, they give worship to an individual named Jesus. So there are similarities. Just like though, it's like when we compared the Catholics, uh, Christians and Muslims or um, Catholics and Protestants, I would say, are, are the essential properties recognized, uh, at least on the basis of, you know, one infinite God, of just affirming that we are monotheists, uh, to say that we adore the one God. Uh, we recognize uh, one, infin- one infinite being, uh, without getting into the makeup of the being, whether this being is triune in the Godhead or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think we can have the same thing when we say, oh, well, uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same Jesus because we, we or worship the same God because we lose a lot more of these essential features. So like at least with Muslims, especially Muslims in the classical tradition, we recognize God is eternal, timeless, immutable, does not change. 
uh, is immaterial, is all-powerful, all-knowing. So we have a lot of that fundamental agreement there. But with Mormons, whether we're talking about whether they worship the same God or whether they worship the same Jesus, uh, I would say I think it's important in ecumenism to recognize the legitimate agreements that we do have, like recognizing the miracle of Jesus' birth that Mormons and Christians would both share. But after that, we we lose a lot of these essential elements, that uh, Jesus is not the uncreated, only begotten Son of the Father. Like with Protestants, I could say, yeah, we in Protestants worship the same Jesus, even if they don't recognize Jesus is in the Eucharist, but they recognize Jesus as one person, fully human, fully divine, uncreated, uh, the only begotten Son of the Father. Whereas in Mormonism, Jesus is the only begotten in the flesh. Uh, he is one of many intelligences that have had a, a, an eternal pre-existence. And so he is, uh, the difference between us and Jesus or us and God in Mormonism is not a difference in kind, it's just a difference in degree. And I would say that that's a fundamental incompatibility, and it's far different, more different with Muslims. But I agree with you, it's, it's, it's fine to have ecumenism to point out things where we legitimately agree on. Like I would say with Mormons, we Mormons and Catholics both reject sola scriptura. We both reject justification by faith alone. We recognize that an authoritative hierarchical church that persists through time that Christ established with a sacerdotal priesthood. So we actually do have a lot in common uh, but but not enough to justify phrases like we worship the same God or we worship the same Jesus. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but I appreciated your call, uh, Bryce. And if you'd like to stay on the line, I'm happy to send you my booklet, uh, 20 Answers Mormonism. And I hope that that is helpful for you. But thank you very much for calling. Thanks, Bryce. Uh, we got to take a quick break. So I'll, I'll uh, read the uh, aforementioned uh, script when we come back uh, for the ad about our big Cyber Monday sale. And uh, but in the meantime, we'll be right back. Catholic Answers Live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, Trent Horn, our guest this hour. Tips for defending the faith. Every line full right now, but I have an, I have ad copy to read, and I'm going to read it word for word. I'm not going to misbehave like I do sometimes. I'm going to read it word for word uh, so that you'll know that this is exactly what Kerry wrote. Visit shop.catholic.com right now to take part in the CyberSci online scavenger hunt. 
We've hidden five CyberSci prize buttons on the shop, and if you find one, you may be able to take home a free 20 answer sampler set, a great prize with a value of $247.50. First one to click on each button gets a coupon code to get the set for free, but be sure to use it right away before someone else sneaks in and takes your chance away. Here's a clue. CyberSci, merry and bright, find him next to something white. Happy hunting, and if you don't win, we've got a great consolation prize. And while you're at the shop, be sure to check out our $10 book sale, 50 of our best sellers for just $10 each, going on through tomorrow at shop.catholic.com. What'd you think, Trent? Pretty good ad? How'd I, do? I think that that's a very good ad. Thank it you. Was, uh, I appreciate that. Ran it. it was a spirited delivery, I would say. Thank you. Thank you for that, Cy. Um, I'm going to go to uh, Aaron in Hastings, Michigan, watching on YouTube. Aaron, thanks for the call. Go ahead with your question for Trent Horn. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Trent. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, the question I have, um, and I'm not trying to say this to be judgmental or anything. <laughs> sure. Um, how is it that some Catholics can be anti-Semitic? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know what, Aaron, I actually asked the call screeners, I saw your call in the, in the queue and I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose you, uh, because the, the question of Catholic antisemitism has come up a lot recently, uh, because of particular vocal individuals who identify both as Catholic and as anti-Semites as saying that they, uh, have an opposition to Jewish people. Uh, they deny, and I'm not going to say particularly who, because these people don't deserve really any attention, frankly. But you, you've probably heard about these things in the news, things like that. You know, they they attack Jewish people uh, verbally, treat them sub in subhuman ways. Uh, they deny the holo- the historical accounts of the Holocaust, the mainstream accepted accounts of the Holocaust being a systematic attempt to exterminate the Jewish people, resulting in uh, approximately six million Jewish people being killed. And you're, it's very um, disheartening to see, because anti-Semitism uh, contradicts the Catholic faith. Uh, our Lord was Jewish, uh, the, the apostles were Jewish, everyone except for one of the authors of the New Testament was Jewish, and that would be Luke, who was a Gentile. Uh, Pope Francis in 2018 gave an address, and he said this, As I have often repeated, a Christian cannot be an anti-Semite. We share the same roots. It would be a contradiction of faith and life. Rather, we are called to commit ourselves to ensure anti-Semitism is banned from the human community. As to why some Christians are anti-Semitic, why would you say that anti-Semitism is not unique to the Christian faith? Uh, it is a, a evil that can be found among people of other religions or even of no religions at all. So I think that it is something that infects uh, Christian people and twists things that are true. So for example, they might read passages in scripture, like in the Gospel of John, um, it will talk about the Jews, in, in Greek, eudioi. And it'll talk about the Jews did this and the Jews did that, uh, as if the Jewish people themselves um, are bad. Uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, our Lord and the apostles and everyone else who's Christian. So, like, for example, but but that's just not the case. Let me read from John chapter 9. Remember when Jesus healed the man born blind? And then the religious authorities, who John calls the Jews, say, well, who's done this? 
uh, and they go to the par- they go to the man's parents and they say, was he always blind? Uh, how did this happen? In John nine twenty two, it says, uh, well, it says that his parents say he's old enough now; he can speak for himself. Don't get us involved in this. In verse twenty two, it says, his parents said this because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Now, that's a weird statement because the blind man's parents are Jewish. It's, it's like, it'd be like if the IRS came to my door and I said, I, I don't know what my son is up to. You can go talk to him. And it said, uh, now, the, Trent said this because he feared the Americans. I'm like, well, I'm an American. What this means, it's a reference to, like, party leadership. Like, when John talks about the Jews in negative terms, it's a reference to... The Jewish leaders, like if I might say uh, what the Russians are doing or what the Democrats or the Republicans are doing, I'm not talking about every single person who's affiliated. I'm talking about the party leadership itself and what it's doing. Like if I say the Russians are unjustly attacking Ukraine, I'm not saying every single Russian is bad and responsible for that. Many of them are protesting the war in Ukraine. So I think that's one thing. There's other verses that are taken out of context in this regard. Um, I think also some Catholics might read in the Church Fathers uh, very uh, hostile writings towards the Jewish people, because it was hard that after Christianity grew, as Christianity was growing, uh, Jewish people did, you know, you would be expelled from the synagogue, there would be riots between Jews and Christians, especially before Christians had solidified political power after the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, So you have this antipathy from one of the problems we have to remember is that some of the fiercest criticism of Jews can be found from other Jews. So if you read, for example, the the writings of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, so these are the Essene Jews, the ascetics who lived out in the desert. John the Baptist may have been one of them. They talk about asking God to curse other Jews, to to bring evils upon them. And they speak about Jews and the Jews and other Jews in very harsh language, because it's a, sometimes if you ever go to Catholic Twitter and see how Catholics fight with each other, you can see how mean-spirited it can be amongst Catholics. Something similar can happen amongst Jews. And in the early history of the church, many Christians saw themselves, they saw themselves as Jews, this Hansel is a faithful Jew who had recognized the Messiah had come. So this was seen as an intra-Jewish dispute until much later as the church grew. But as I said, anti-Semitism is, is incompatible. Paul says in Galatians 3.28 that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. And I also think that just some people buy into Jewish conspiracy theories because maybe they're disaffected, maybe they're struggling to pay the bills, or they're concerned about the fate of the world, and it's easy to blame uh, a boogeyman than to recognize that the world is just a complicated and anxiety-inducing place. And so people can buy into these conspiracy theories and try to meld it to to their faith. Um, But I I would recommend, uh, if you would like a good book on a relationship between Judaism and Catholicism. There's a book called Salvation is from the Jews by Roy Schumann. Roy Schumann, Salvation is from the Jews. Roy Schumann, uh, excellent book I'd recommend on, on, on the relationship between Judaism and Catholicism. Sorry, that was a bit of a hefty answer, but I wanted to get to your question because I know a lot of people have been talking about it lately. So uh, is, is that at least a helpful start? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, I didn't mean to sound judgmental or nothing, like I said. I d- it didn't um, sound judgmental at all. I think it's no, a great no, no, question. Not at all. we got to ask I, that. I, I'm going to be honest with you, Aaron. It is, it is something—I you know, think, I I think I'll probably address this on the podcast soon. 
But it is very unfortunate uh, to see Catholics um, buying, you know, uh, buying into this. Uh, they'll read older Catholic writers who s speak about this with abandon and think, oh, well, it must be fine. Like, well, no, not necessarily. Those older Catholic writers had prejudices as well that we have to be aware of and not uncritically accept everything that they propose. I, I have seen it enough to know that I believe most Catholics are not anti-Semitic, but there is enough of a vocal element within the Church uh, that it warrants uh, uh, confronting and addressing. I think so, too, uh, Aaron. Uh, thanks very much. I mean, I guess you're saying that people have been talking about this trend because it's been in the media. Certain people make That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but it's and also identifying as people identify as Catholic and anti-Semitic. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I'd I, also add one more thing, Sai. Some people will say, well, those Catholics are not; they don't hate ethnic Jews. They have a hatred towards the Jewish religion. What? That... Uh, and, and I would say first, God calls us to, yeah, He calls us to love everyone, and it's and why? Well, because it's false. And I would say there's so much that could be said to that, but. They don't have the same hatred towards atheism, towards Buddhism. They'll say it's false, but I believe that it's a self-serving justification that you're really targeting a specific people, that you don't treat all false religions with the same venom when I see people say this. I believe there's more of a malicious undercurrent. Yeah, and it's nasty business, and it's, it leads to horrible things. And uh, yes. if you want to uh, love Jesus, then uh, you can't hate Jews. Uh, you can't be anti-Semitic. Um, you just got to stop that. We'll take a Romans quick Romans 11, the, the, the call of God is not revoked. Love our Jewish brethren. Amen, brother. Uh, we'll be right back with more Trent Horn on Catholic Answers Live. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe as a Catholic that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the church has answered this question, and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best and start sharing the gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Psy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. 
Adoption is a very special calling, and maybe it has affected your family in some way. How did God orchestrate your family? That's tomorrow's topic on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. Now back to more of Catholic Answers Live with Cy Kellett. Welcome back, Catholic Answers Live. Excuse me, I beg your pardon. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. Trent Horn is our guest. I'm so glad uh, Trent is here. Uh, I do appreciate that you're taking all that time for the anti-Semitism thing because it's not a negotiable uh, thing. It's not something to play around with. But I wanted to ask you a question, and I kept meaning to ask it uh, when we had the caller on the line, Aaron. Uh, yeah. But um, John Bergsma makes the point that the, the word for Jew and the word for Judean are the same in uh, right in ancient Hebrew, and that it, there is this tension all through the, the Gospels between the Galileans and the Judeans, and that we mm -hmm. should be aware of that as the background, uh, that when John uses the word, the Judeans did this or the Judeans did that. Uh, yeah, the Iudioi. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it has that other meaning, too. It was just more social. Uh, it's more like saying those Jews from Judea rather than us from up here in Galilee. Right, it's referencing a particular uh, region. Uh, it, it really, like I said, like any word, it will depend on its context, its, its meaning, uh, because in some contexts it's very narrow. It's clearly referring to the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas. Yeah. In other contexts, it may be referring to that particular social class uh, of Jews that were not uh, related to Jesus' ministry in a different way than the Samaritans or Jews in uh, Galilee or other Gentile areas would have addressed Jesus. Uh, again, the number here, 888-3187-884. We're going to go to Britain next. But Britain's in Oklahoma, listening to EWTN on Channel 130, Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Britain, thanks for your call. Go ahead with your question for Trent. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well. Thank you. I have three. I have a three-part question. I got three what? different questions. Oh, the you got okay. Hang one, on. No, no. We can't do even one question until we get this phone situation straightened out. Is there some way you can talk into the phone? Can you hear me better now? Way better. Uh, all right, go ahead. We'll, uh, let, wonderful. Let's start with one. So the first question is: I had a relative tell me that um, because I've been studying more into my Catholic faith and wanting to know more about it, that it looks to them like I love the church more than I love God and it really threw me off and I was wanting to know is that even possible and if so what could I do and then the other two questions mm -hmm. are uh, today we had my grandma's funeral and uh, it was at a Protestant first Christian church and when we we're mm -hmm. going in there the church seemed very bare and uh, they did the eulogy they prayed and then that was it and they played a slideshow the whole time I was asking myself, where is God? Like, I'm looking around, and I'm like, where is God? And then we went to the graveside, right. and the preacher prayed over the casket with everybody, and then they just left. And so I went and asked one of the facilitators, I said, are we going to lower her into the ground? And he said, oh, no, we don't do that. And it really disturbed me. And I was wanting to know why that would be the case, because it seems like there's a lot of sacredness and beauty that's missing. Right. And um, the the third one, I'm trying to remember exactly what. Uh, um, oh, the third one was about Advent. So we went back into the church after it was all done because they cooked for us, and we went back into the sanctuary to grab flowers. They had moved this wooden 
altar thing in the way of where her casket was. And they had a big nativity set on it. But all around was Advent flags. And the preacher was wearing an Advent colors. And so it okay. really threw me off. I was like, what, what season is it? Is it Christmas or is it Advent? It, I, I, it just really confused me. So I was wondering <laughs> if you could help me understand those things. Well, even I can do number three, but I'll let uh, <laughs> right. I'll let Trent handle all those. Go ahead, Trent. Yeah, Advent is when we prepare for the coming of our Lord uh, and celebrating his, the nativity or the birth of the Lord. Uh, so that's why, for example, it's it's traditional when you set up an Advent wreath and an Advent display. Like we'll have the nativity set displayed in our home, but, and it's a common tradition in Catholic homes to take baby Jesus and hide him <laughs> somewhere uh, because we're not ready to celebrate the nativity of our Lord yet. That Advent is a time of uh, prep- of understanding the preparation uh, for the Lord's coming, both his first coming uh, 2,000 years ago, and that's why the readings at Mass focus on things like the end of the world, preparing for the Lord's second coming, uh, and other Protestants who may not be as liturgically minded, may think Advent and Christmas are just one. If They might just think, look, it's all the same after Thanksgiving, but before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, sorry, after Thanksgiving and like three days after New Year's and you have had time to recover, it's all Christmas, which is not uh, in accord with the, um, the Catholic liturgical calendar. Uh, on your second point about Protestant funerals, I mean, this will really depend on the Protestant denomination that you're you witness or you you observe, uh, because we have to understand that Protestantism is incredibly wide and diverse. Uh, I would say that the classical reformers, uh, especially, we'll see this today even among main mainline Protestants, you like Anglicans certain Presbyterians and Lutherans, there's certainly more of an understanding of ritual that would be involved in something like a funeral, for example. So you might attend a a wake and a funeral service that is more similar to a Catholic service if it's from one of these older uh, confessional Protestant faiths, ones that can date themselves back to a Protestant confession. Uh, Newer, more evangelical churches, not all, but some, and I was actually at a, a service not too long ago that felt uh, very brief and uh, unadorned for a funeral. So I understand where you're coming from here. I think what can happen also in some of these low church or evangelical funerals is this idea that we don't have anything to do for the dead anymore, that if someone dies and we presume that they're Christian, uh, that they will automatically go to heaven. And if somebody maintained, professed the Christian faith, then uh, they have a 100% guarantee of salvation. Their salvation can't be lost. And so the only thing we say is bon voyage, and the, the, off they go. And that's all we can say, that the idea of helping someone, that, the, but, you know, the, sorry, I should say that there's a natural human instinct to want to maintain a solidarity with a departed loved one and to even help them. Uh, through this journey, to want to pray for them as they go to be with the Lord, that they're that they are prepared for that, uh, and so that's why in Catholicism as well as in Orthodoxy, you know, we have an understanding that a soul that departs from this life, uh, but you know, we don't we can't see the state of someone's soul. The only time we could know that someone who died is definitely going to heaven is if they died a martyr's death, for example. Uh, but otherwise. 
we would see there, okay, well, they've died. We don't know the state of their soul, so we we pray for them. Uh, A funeral should not turn into a miniature canonization session, though I have given a eulogy before. There's quite the temptation to do that when you're emotionally wrought. Uh, So I don't fault people who've fallen into that. I've I've fallen essentially into that before. It's hard to give a eulogy, probably one of the hardest speeches I've ever given. Uh, But the same, that, that the funeral, the goal here is not to celebrate a person is in heaven is to pray for them uh, on their journey and all for all of us also to serve the living body of Christ and know, hey, memento mori, remember your death. Uh, this is a time for all of us that when a, a member of the faithful dies, we recognize we are starkly confronted with our own mortality. And so it's important for people to recognize that. Uh, finally, on your first point, um, your relatives say, oh, you love, the f- you love your Catholic faith more than you love God. I mean, it's possible to turn anything into an idol, all right? So uh, paragraph 2113 of the Catechism says, idolatry not only refers to false pagan worship, it remains a constant temptation to faith. Idolatry consists in divinizing what is not God. Man commits idolatry whenever he honors and reveres a creature in place of God. Now, you might think, well, how could I become an idolater if I'm, if I'm honoring God, if I'm uh, uh, living a life of faith? I think that can ha- happen if we place the practice of faith as somehow being even more valuable than God, as if we think merely saying the rosary because we've said the rosary, going to Mass because we've gone to Mass, uh, that we become legalistic and ritualistic and trying to treat the faith like a video game and get as many points as possible that you can turn the practice of the faith into an idol itself. You treat the practice as an ends instead of as a means to grow closer to God. That's where I think it can become idolatry. But if you just love God and you love praying the rosary, you love going to Mass and you want to get closer to God, it's not idolatry. It would be like if somebody—imagine my wife really uh, loves—my wife loves particular kinds of food, right? And imagine I spent all this time reading cookbooks and learning how to serve the perfect kind of food so that it's the right kind my wife can really enjoy. And I spend all this time, then someone might say, you love those cookbooks more than you love your wife. I say, you know, okay, I've been really busy with the cookbooks lately, but I am learning this to serve her because I love her. So I I think that's the kind of um, perspective we need to keep on that. Uh, I don't know, is is that a helpful start for your, your your three part one question? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and she had she had recently fallen away from the faith and is mm. struggling with a lot of the church teachings. So I think that might have just came out of anger or ignorance. Oh yeah, well I mean misery misery loves company. It's kind of like the person who has just been divorced and they're around a friend who's celebrating their wedding anniversary. They they just they can't stand it that this other person is happy at something that once made you happy, and you've you've given it up. Um, that's why I do feel like a lot of people think, oh, they don't think about hell, like who would, who would want to be in hell? I think people who've given up the faith and who are disaffected and they, they don't want it anymore, to be in heaven would be a kind of hell for them, to see everyone glorifying God. And you might say, oh, no one's paying attention to me. It's just this is what's most important to you people. They, they, they miss the proper object of what faith is, and that leads to them becoming miserable because man— can only be truly alive, can reach his highest good when he orders himself towards the highest good in the universe, God, the summum bonum, as uh, Aquinas would say. But thanks for your call. Thanks, Britton. Got to take a break. Trent Horn is our guest this hour. 
Next hour, Father Sebastian Walsh will be here. Your calls are welcome. 888-318-7884. Let us help you with your question today on Catholic Answers Live. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. We have a big problem. Our culture is dying and souls are in danger of being lost. The answer is conversion to Jesus Christ in His Church. St. Paul Street Evangelization is a Catholic organization and we have hundreds of teams spreading the good news throughout the country. But we need your help. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Find out more and get involved today at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. On this Cyber Monday, you got to find a little uh, elfy guy called Cyber Cy that the marketing department put on the website at shop.catholic.com, and then you get a giant uh, free uh, book set of all the 20 Answers uh, books. Cyber Cy, four of them left. Somebody found one already. One down. Uh, was it you, Trent? Were you searching while we were do- while we've been doing the show? Were you searching? No, for- I, I checked a news podcast. I think it was Augustus Gloop in uh, Germany <laughs> has found the first cyber psi. Uh, oh, man. I, I hope, well, Who's the guy that we want to get the. What's. The, August, not Augustus Gloop, the good kid. What's you mean name? Charlie? Oh, yeah, Charlie. Oh, yeah. Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and a momentary lapse. Uh, all right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Jordan. In Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio, you are next. Go ahead with your question for Trent. Jordan? Oh, I'm sorry. I just realized I was muted. Can you hear me? We can. Oh, wait. I was going to say yes, but I was muted for a second there. (laughs) Sorry, Jordan. All right. Cool, cool. Um, Yeah, so I kind of wrote out a long thing, but I'm going to kind of give you the spark notes. So... I'm sort of a recent convert to the faith. Um, I got confirmed recently, and one of the things that still hooks me up is, so whenever I sin, commit a sin, I sort of immediately ask God to forgive me. And I sort of, I think that if you, if you ask God to forgive you for something, and then you, like, don't believe he forgave you, and then you ask him again and again and again, like, I think that's a sin. And I sort of have this mm-hmm. dilemma where it's like, I don't have a problem going to a priest. Like, I do believe, like, Jesus tells us to do that, but, because um, he's right. in persona Christi and, you know, it's in the Gospels and everything. But there's that. And then even when we say the rosary, you know, our Father prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The Fatima prayer, mm-hmm. oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. And then we're going in to the sacrament of confession with a priest. And then we're, like, I feel like if I'm confessing my sins more than once, it's like... Right. Like, like Moses striking the rock multiple times? Yeah, like, like I mean, yeah. because I think of people who, they commit a sin, and then they just they just feel so guilty, like, because I, right. I yeah. used to be a Protestant, and this is sort of the thing, you just feel so guilty, like, oh, you, 
you looked at pornography or something, and you just feel so guilty, so you just confess it to God over and over and over again, begging Him to forgive you. And it's like, if you ask Him once, I think He does. You know, I think it, it can be a sin in and of itself. To, to keep so it. I guess that's sort of my, my, my issue. All right, Trent? Yeah, so when it comes to our psychological concerns and motivations towards God forgiving sins, uh, there's two errors to avoid. So one would be the sin of presumption, and that'd be presuming upon God's forgiveness and thinking, oh, I don't even have to ask God to forgive me because he's already forgiven me, and he, he'd forgive me anyways. I don't even have to bring it up. Uh, or planning to sin because you plan to confess the sin later. Now, you can have that disordered attitude, sin, and realize you were being dumb and confess both the sin and the disordered presumption to God and ask him to, to change your heart in that matter. Um, but, but there is the sin of presumption, and then the twin evil to that, the, the countervailing evil, would be the, the sin of despair. Uh, the one who presumes uh, thinks, oh, it, it doesn't matter, God will forgive me, I don't have to ask. The one who despairs uh, uh, doubts God's power to think, oh, maybe he didn't forgive me, or you, 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 you doubt God's love and mercy instead of presuming upon it. I think the way to address your concern is we have to remember that God has given uh, different means to the Church for us to have different sins forgiven. Uh, for example, let's take venial sins. These are the sins, you know, it says in Scripture, uh, we all, James 3, 2 says, we all uh, sin, we all stumble, we all sin in many small ways. We all stumble, make, make many small mistakes. Uh, the righteous man falls seven times a day. So we all commit these these venial sins, uh, these uh, things that cause a blemish to our soul, uh, that weaken our relationship with God, but do not destroy charity in the soul, don't destroy our relationship with God. And so because these sins are just so common, uh, we have a wide variety of ways for them to be forgiven. We can appeal to God directly to ask for forgiveness of sins. We, When you go to receive the Eucharist, for example, at Mass, uh, your venial sins are forgiven. Venial, not mortal, uh, in, in receiving Christ in the Eucharist. Uh, but when it comes to the forgiveness of mortal sins, this really comes to the question, how does God make us be in communion with him and his church? How does God give us divine life? And because the granting of divine life to someone is so important for their eternal salvation, uh, God has given specific methods to do that, not just a prayer, though a prayer can be sufficient in a uh, extraordinary circumstance. So for example, uh, like when we think of confession, right, of restoring us to divine life, uh, that 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 said life of sanctifying grace with God. Uh, that's a it's not a complete repeat, but it, it does kind of like what baptism did. Not entirely. Baptism is different. The graces from baptism are different than what you receive in confession, but it's similar in that of elevating us to having that uh, sanctifying grace, that divine life with God. Uh, so how do we receive it in the first place? Well, you can ask God for it. When I was 17 years old, I asked God for it. And uh, if and then I entered RCIA and was baptized about seven months later. Now, if I had died during that period, uh, the church would have said that I had a baptism of desire. I consciously desired the means God gave to bring me uh, into salvation. Uh, so I desired it. You know, I asked God for it in my heart. Uh, but but I also 
willed myself to whatever I could to actually receive the sacrament itself. And so that's similar if we commit a mortal sin. There's nothing wrong with asking God to forgive us in that very moment. That's a very natural thing that we ought to do. You don't have to wait till you're in confession. You can ask God for forgiveness, and you can make a firm resolution to go to confession. And if you do that, and you make an act of perfect contrition, uh, you can still uh, be received into heaven. You can still... uh, have the grace necessary to enter into heaven uh, because God will not hold that against people who, through no fault of their own, uh, couldn't access the the sacrament, for example. This is talked about in the Code of Canon Law. So you can make a firm resolution to go to confession after committing a mortal sin, ask God to forgive you, uh, and you can still be saved, but you can't just say, oh, you know, I'll go to confession whenever, or, or something like that. You still have to make a firm resolution to avail yourself of the ordinary means God has given uh, to provide for our salvation, whether that's baptism or whether it's the sacrament of reconciliation. But there's nothing despairing or doubting of God to use an extraordinary means uh, immediately and then choosing to use the ordinary means once they become available to us. Like, let's say you can't get to a priest for a few days. You know, well, now you've you've done used an extraordinary means, and now you can avail yourself of the ordinary means. And I would and I would say that there's nothing, no lack of trust in God. Uh, rather, it's trusting God and recognizing the various means that He gave us to have our sins forgiven, whether they're ordinary or extraordinary. But we as Christians should always uh, respect God and seek out the ordinary means of salvation that He's given us. So, is that a is that a helpful start? I, I think so. I, it's just, it's really, and it might be scrupulosity, where I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, even like, we'll, we'll just say mortal sin, because that's what you said. Mm-hmm. So like, I commit a mortal sin, sure. and then immediately after, or maybe not immediately, but eventually I said, oh my, God forgive me. And yes. it, there's just this hang up in my conscience where it's like, okay, now I'm going to see a priest and asking him to forgive me for that sin again. It's like, it's almost like I'm not trusting God. You know what I mean? Well, I would say like, like I'm not uh, the refusal that he forgave me the first time. Right, but what I would say here is the refusal to go to the sacrament God has given us. That refusal would be a sign of not trusting God. Um, that God has given us sacraments for particular reasons. One of them, one reason that He gave them to us is for us to have that kind of assurance. Uh, so that we can know, like when I was baptized, the valid formula was said, and the water was used, and I was baptized, uh, and I and that will never be undone. Much the same way you can be in a position where, and this I think a lot of Protestants sometimes fall into this, where you can say, oh, well, I asked God to forgive me, but did he really forgive me? Like, how do I know he forgave me? Uh, you know, was I really sorry enough? What, was I sorrowful? Like, I, I don't know. So I think that the refusal to go to the through the ordinary to use the ordinary means that God has given, especially for us to have that peace, uh, that is more of a sign of not trusting in God because of what we have to say. Well, God, what do you want me to do? And God will say, Well, I gave you a church, and this is what the church teaches for you, for you to obtain the forgiveness of sins. And this is what the Church has articulated from what I said in sacred scripture and sacred and sacred tradition. Uh, so I think I would probably look at it in, in that way, that it's more trusting of God to say, okay, Lord, you gave me this sacrament, I've asked for forgiveness, but 
I know that you that this is something means you want me to choose to have full reconciliation with the church, and I'm going to avail myself of it. And I think that's important because a lot of times, like if we pursue when we ask God to forgive us ourselves, we forget things like you know a priest will give us penance to make up for the temporal punishment due to sin, something that we can do to make up for. And as I said before, you have that certainty and a priest uses the valid formula to absolve you. And no matter, as long as you're contrite, you're not just faking it. You know, as long as you're there and you are contrite, you don't have to worry about was I contrite enough or this or that. You can have that assurance that God wants us to have that the sins, the sins have been forgiven, that it's, it's done, it's over. Uh, so I hope that that's helpful. I'm grateful you called in. Yes, Jordan, thank you very, very much uh, for calling in. And uh, there's a bunch of folks on the line, but I don't, I don't want you to worry, because uh, we are going to take a break in a moment. But uh, Father Sebastian Walsh will be here the second hour, and all of your questions are welcome for uh, Father Sebastian uh, when we come back. Don't forget, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. With all the post-Thanksgiving shopping holidays we have, this is a chance for all of us to give back. It's the perfect time to support Catholic Answers, EWTN, or your local Catholic radio station. In fact, we at Catholic Answers have our Giving Tuesday donation portal open now, as do many others. And we've been blessed with a $75,000 matching challenge for this year for all Giving Tuesday donations between now and December 6th. Visit givecatholic.com or text the word CATHOLIC to 24365 to support Catholic Answers this Giving Tuesday. Uh, one thing I have neglected to ask you about, uh, Trent, or to comment on, is uh, how funny your wife is. Uh, and oh, I she's never hysterical. Get, I don't want to get invited to breakfast with her because I saw oh, the, the video of her. May, maybe you'll invite people to breakfast in our part three, Mr. Cy Kellett. So <laughs> if, anyone's wondering, if anyone's wondering what we're talking about, definitely go check out Too Far with Laura Horn. My wife has started a, a, a Catholic comedy YouTube channel, Too Far with Laura Horn on YouTube. I make a few appearances here and there in the videos, so I think you guys will like it. I just love that little opening bit to where she's standing in the in the laundry room going, get out of my office. <laughs> get out of my office. That's every homeschooling mom's <laughs> office, I would say. <laughs> uh, you can find Trent's podcast, uh, The Council of Trent, at TrentHornPodcast.com. Do check it out. New material practically daily over there at trenthornpodcast.com. Trent, we're thankful for you. Thanks for being here with us. Anytime, Cy. And that'll do it for us for this hour, but next hour we're going to start right up again with more questions for Father Sebastian Walsh. There's one line open right now if you'd like to fill it. 888-318-7884 is the number. And a perfect time now to head over to shop.catholic.com see if you can find that weird-looking creature called Cyber Cy. And uh, you can win really huge prizes and even some nice consolation prizes if you're not there first finding CyberSide. Check it out right now at shop.catholic.com. Right back with Ask a Priest with Father Sebastian Walsh right after this.